Justin Spratt is the managing director of Quirk, believed to be the fastest growing agency in South Africa. Among his responsibilities is driving the expansion of Quirk into the rest of Africa, having just set up their Nairobi office. Guessing by your accent, Australian born and raised, yes? Yeah. I did some research. Turns out you were a hacker um, by 1987. That's correct, yeah. So, How old were you then? Uh, how old was I in 87? Jeez, don't ask me that. I was about 10. Um, but my, my dad worked for IBM. My mum worked for Microsoft. So um, I was lucky enough to be exposed to computers way back then. Okay, so talk about the blog scene in 99, which is when you sort of started dabbling. Web blog or blog was only coined in 2001 or two. So at, the, at that time, it was just essays online. And I used to write them to kind of let my family know what I was doing in London. It wasn't really anything specific other than that. Didn't have a huge audience. It was very family and friend specific, but it, uh, it was a, a way of putting a letter online for a group of people. And then, you know, that kind of became blogging a couple of years later. Would you say your parents being in tech influenced you being in tech? Yeah, absolutely. They influenced me. I've been lucky enough to be exposed to it at a very early age. It's been the the golden thread throughout my life and careers. I started my life in investment banking, worked in technology space, technology stocks and credit. And now I, I work at an internet uh, marketing agency prior to that internet solution. So there's been technology throughout. And yeah, it was kicked off. My you know My dad and mom worked in the industry right in the nascent days and uh, I was lucky enough to be there, I guess. How does a hacker wind up working for Morgan Stanley in London? Because you, you mentioned London, and that's where the whole blogging thing started for you. How does that happen? I use that word hacker loosely. I, I was a very bad programmer and gamer. And then, you know, that was when I was young. And then I watched Wall Street. I wanted to become a trader. And so then I went and did my degree in finance and economics. And then I joined Morgan Stanley in London. And so that's kind of how that happened. And when I decided that investment finance world wasn't for me. I then gravitated back to technology and I've been lucky enough to have some fantastic jobs and certainly some fantastic uh, leaders. Let's talk about some of those jobs. Uh, let's start with what brought you to South Africa. My mother's South African and um, she immigrated back to South Africa in 94 and I got a lot of family here. I love the place. When and where would you say the entrepreneurial bug bit? I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a great entrepreneur. I, I think I've just been lucky enough to be involved very early on with great entrepreneurs. Um, and I've got a very big interest in, in seeing uh, entrepreneurs succeed, especially in the technology space. But I come from a family of entrepreneurs. On my mom's side, all of her brothers are successful entrepreneurs, non-corporate types. So it's, I guess it's in the blood. I wouldn't say I'm great at it, but certainly I've gravitated to great entrepreneurs and I've been lucky enough to work with them. Which opportunities would you say you went out looking for and which ones kind of happened to you to get you where you are now? It's a good question. Um, well... When I was at Internet Solutions, there was myself, uh, a guy called Greg Deshasanoff and Jeff Fletcher, the three of us worked there. And we were very interested in this space and we realized Internet Solutions was um, the forebearer of Internet in South Africa. And we, we figured there could be something in this incubator, accelerator space. So we founded IS Labs, which stands for Internet Solutions Labs. And we then uh, allowed startups to come and pitch to us and, and give us a business case in return for connecting, mentoring, and especially giving service space and connectivity and a whole bunch of stuff. The hardcore part of the, the tech entrepreneurship for me, really started then with Jeff and Greg. 
uh, you've been mentored by some amazing people, some of whom you've mentioned already. Uh, I'm going to drop some names and ask you to give me the first word that comes to mind when I say these names. Here you go. Ronnie Aptecker. I hope I'm saying that right. Yep. Uh, founded Internet Solutions, which I didn't know was South Africa's first internet uh, service provider. First word that comes to mind. Your first commercial uh, internet service provider, but yes, uh, eccentric. Eccentric. Wow. Okay. Uh, let's go Rob Stokes, founder and CEO of Quirk. Energetic. Jeremy Ord, chairman of Dimension Data. Consumer salesman. That's two words, but I'll let you go with that one. Okay. Justin Drennan, co-founder of wantedall.co.za and insurance.co.za. Amongst many others, but yeah, he's uh, the word there, genius. Yossi Hassan, co-founder and CEO of Cinec. Strategic. Okay, is there anyone whose career you came up sort of trying to emulate? Uh, yeah, I worshipped probably Bill Gates for the first... I still do, actually. He's still my favorite entrepreneur. He's ahead of Steve Jobs in my mind. So I've often looked and copied what Gates has done, you know, as much as you can know what, what, what he did. But uh, I still rate him as one of the best. Yeah. I like his vibe because he's like sort of... He's got the humble thing going on. Maybe that's, that, that's probably what put me off Steve Jobs. It's sort of that almost arrogance that I didn't quite like. Yeah. Yeah, Gates Gates was arrogant when he was young, but yeah, his humility and what he's doing for the world is, I think, hopefully ameliorating that and, and, and making uh, leaving a good legacy. What are some of the differences you think um, there are between running a business unit for a large corporate, so say an internet solutions, which is now a very large company, versus running a startup, which Quirk is essentially, right? Well, no, actually, Quirk is now 16 years old, and it was started by my boss, Rob Stokes. Rob Stokes is actually my boss. He's one of the entrepreneurs I admire. He built the thing in his dorm room. My bad. That's okay. No, no, no problem at all. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but I mean, I've been involved in the startup space. I, I, I'm fortunate enough to mentor some fantastic uh, entrepreneurs and been in and around the mix. It's completely different. I mean, I mean, the headline for me that I always talk about is corporates are managed quarter by quarter. And startups are managed day by day and um, on a decade-long basis. So there's this, you know, this constant paradox in startups. You're trying to think of that 10-year vision, but you're trying to stay alive day to day. Whereas corporates, it's, it's every quarter by quarter, forecasting, budgeting, you know, trying to predict where you'll be for, for essentially what rolls up to a stock market. And which would you say you prefer? Well, luckily, Rob's still the boss of us. So I, he still, we still very much act like a startup. So while that exists, I, Quirk is um, still my, my employer of choice. I doubt I'll ever go back into the corporate world, into working for businesses that are listed. I doubt it. You never say never. Uh, if given the right role and the right latitude and enough rope, then possibly. But I just love the, the kind of innovativeness and the ability to kind of spin on a dime of, of smaller businesses. Okay, well, the, the business of selling creative strategy intrigues me. So this sort of agency space you play in. Would you say that Quirk sells ideas, expertise, creativity? What would you say you guys are about and what is it you sell? So we sell ideas and then we sell brains around them. So by that, I mean an idea is nothing by itself. So then the brains come in and try and deliver an execution of that. And then we also sell trust. You know, we're a big agency now, even though we're, we were until recently a private company. So I would say ideas, brains to execute, and then trust. Okay. And I know you sit on the advisory boards of Josie Hub, Tech and Brahm. So how do you decide what initiatives to donate your time and expertise to? And um, uh, what are some of the factors you consider in doing that? 
I've been fortunate enough to have a philosophy that's allowed me to work on stuff that I find more interesting. So I've never chosen a job for the income, although it's important. It's it's always a byproduct. So my philosophy is just to choose things that are really interesting. Now, what that means is I get to I give my time to projects that are interesting. I think what Gustav has done with uh, Josie Hub is fantastic. What Prof Barry's done with Tech in Brahm is incredible. And 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 these are this is just the start. What Tefo's doing, and so I'm lucky enough to get asked to help out, and 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 I choose the ones that are the most interesting. And and there's some really passionate people that are trying to get the startup community in South Africa going. And I think that's important macroeconomically because quite frankly, right now, current South African enterprise doesn't deliver enough growth for the economy to start fixing some of the the problems of yesteryear. So we need those startups and these are guys that are that are driving that engine. And it's just amazing what these guys are doing. And and if they get some modicum of success, it will it will fundamentally change South Africa and the well being of many South Africans. Well I'm excited because you mentioned a mate of mine, Defo Mohapi of iAfrican Coming back to the whole agency thing, I'm curious about how an agency brand like Quirk goes about marketing itself. Are there rules about how subtle agencies need to be in, in doing essentially what they're paid a lot of money to do for mainstream brands? So agencies are traditionally very bad at marketing themselves. Um, in many ways, great agencies don't need to market themselves because the work markets. Having said all that, you know, it's a very crowded space and so therefore marketing yourself is, is interesting. The reality is most agencies can deliver great for a client, not for themselves. In Quirk's instance, again, you know, my boss and the founder, Rob Stokes, he managed to craft a story about Quirk that was not only very interesting, but actually very authentic. So it actually didn't take much work for us to market ourselves and to be interesting. And he built a culture and that culture then ended up telling its own story. So I think that's where part of his genius lies in, 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 in having started that process. Are there things you can do wrong though in that space? Can you do too much, do you think, as an agency to put yourself out there? Yeah, of course. We see a lot of agencies trying to self-promote and talk a good game. And uh, I'm not sure that that works anymore. I think I think the people that actually sign marketing budgets or sign checks on behalf of marketing budgets know who the, who the good people are. So a couple of months back, I canvassed my network for the best social media training out there. And Quirk came out tops um, in that little survey. It's becoming quite a little industry that training people on how to navigate digital space. Is your play in that area a thought leadership play or is it genuinely a profit bearing activity? Yeah, to be completely transparent, it is a profitable unit for us. Uh, having said that, you know, and this comes back to the earlier point where Rob started creating a culture that kind of told a story itself. He started that culture around education. And so he's made it very important for all of us, you know, all 300 plus quirk people to put education right at the front of our career development. And then uh, he wrote a textbook with the help of some quirk people. He's given that textbook out free. You can download it off the internet for free. Just look up quirk textbook and, and go download it. Uh, and so at the start, it was it was very much about giving back to the community and, and trying to educate the sector. And then it turned out to obviously be our point of difference. It defined our culture. And, you know, it just like all good things, it's become profitable for us. It's it's led to good things for us. And it's now a significant part of our business. We do training all the way through Africa. We've been through all of Europe, Eastern Europe. We've even been to Bogota in Colombia, and we've been to Delhi in India, training companies around digital marketing, digital marketing capability. So it started off with great intent. It's ended up with good things for everybody. It's it's one of those one of those really good stories. Quirk's 
betting on the rest of Africa, it seems, with you guys opening up in Nairobi. Talk us through the process of growing a brand or a business in in the region. Yeah, so the first thing you, I mean, the first thing you probably don't do is send an Australian into the continent. But anyway, that's Rob's choice. But having done that, what we realized very, very quickly is that Africa isn't a single market. It's kind of like saying, you know, go conquer Europe or go conquer South America. It's it's very, very different. In fact, Africa is probably more diverse and more uh, heterogeneous than than any other parts of the world. You know, we got fifty seven countries. It's 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 diverse. So we look at Africa as five specific regions at the very start, and and that's only a starting point: East, West Africa, Central Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, North Africa, and the Maghreb. Um, and and then you know also spilling out into the Middle East as well with Egypt um, as well. So. It's a very complex scenario. It's a very complex ecosystem. I wouldn't pretend for one second we understand how that works, but we're going up there. We're working with some established brands, global brands that need digital capability in continent, and we're going there and helping them out. The other trick is not to go there as colonists, as people that are looking to colonize Africa. I think that that arrogance is not going to get you far. You need a deep sense of humility. Quite frankly, I don't believe big companies can pretend that they know how to market to people in different countries. You you really need to, you can take a skill set, but you really need to be deeply empathetic and use your IP and assimilate it to the given market. And that's a lot of work and it requires deep humility. You're starting with East Africa. Yeah, we've been in Nigeria, Tebe in Uganda, Dar in, in Tanzania, Mozambique. We've been everywhere. Going to Nigeria at the end of February. But yeah, our main focus is, is in Nairobi. We've got some really exciting business there. We're lucky enough to partner with Airtel as their digital agency for Africa. So that's really exciting. Fantastic people and people who really want to make a difference. You know, it's not about people just trying to tick boxes, trying to create campaigns that actually connect people to the internet. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You mentioned in passing um, that you, you're involved in the startup scene of sorts. Do you invest in startups? I have shareholdings in a few businesses. It's not really about me. It's it's about the actual ecosystem. So I do. I mentor a few entrepreneurs. I sit on a few advisories and a few boards. You know, I'm not a fire starter like the Ronnie Aptekers uh, or the Justin Drans or the Yossi Hassans. I'm kind of that second person who kind of helps cultivate the business, grow it, sell it and all that kind of stuff. But I, I love the startup world, but I'm more of um, a facilitator rather than a starter. The focus should really be on those fire starters and so thinking now in terms of being an investor what kind of years 2015 set out to be no pressure to all the companies that he's invested <laughs> in to perform. I've got an Australian passport, a European passport, and a South African passport, and I choose to be here. I think I'm very bullish on Africa. I'm very bullish on South Africa. I think there are some significant macroeconomic headwinds, not least of which emanating out of, out of Europe and especially from the from Eastern Europe and Russia. And that has an impact on Africa because obviously um, those European and first world budgets are spent in Africa. And then, of course, you have the oil price, which a lot of African countries rely on a lot of government budgets have spent against this you know oil price at $100 and now it's $50 so they'll have budget deficits and that'll, that'll flow on to business so there's a lot of headwinds having said that I think it's actually almost irrelevant um, what's happening in the macro economy for, for technology startups. I think the economies are sufficient. The, the actual economics to make a startup survive is, is small enough that none of that should really matter on aggregate. So, you know, my advice to the guys that I chat to is you can disrupt any time. And in fact, if you prove a model in, in tough economic times, it's a good indicator of success. It's, 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 if you can make it work in the tough times, you're going to fly in the good times. Are you sort of saying... It- 
timing is a huge thing in, in developed markets. They figure if you miss a window of opportunity in, in your attempt to disrupt an industry, sometimes it's better off not even trying. You're saying in Africa, you, you see a much more forgiving environment for you to sort of try and get the job done as it were. Yeah, well, I, there's two things. Firstly, I think if you're a startup, so in other words, you're one or two or three people in a, in a business, I actually think you can disrupt anytime, anywhere. That's, that's a universal law. I think specifically in Africa, there is unique opportunities. There's, there's so many markets that are inefficient. And, and usually that means there's an ability to disrupt that market. I think especially in Africa, that there are certain traits where it lends itself to certain technologies. So for instance, Africa as a continent, if you really try and generalize, is very social. And I think that's going to lend itself to very interesting solutions on mobile phones. You know, And I'm clearly not the only one who says that. So I think Africa will be, it'll be the place that's, that actually generates multi-billion dollar businesses on the mobile phone simply because Africa is having the problems on mobile phones. You know, their life exists on mobile phones. It's not dispersed over a whole bunch of different different devices and what have you. So it's a very interesting environment in Africa. Okay, so let's talk about the game changer. That's the internet. Some Western countries have declared it a human right. Talk us through some of the ways you've harnessed the use of platforms and technologies that didn't exist when you were growing up to sort of uh, set up success for Quirk and, and, and all the other businesses you're involved in within the, the tech space. So Quirk is an internet marketing business. It wouldn't have ever existed in its current form if it wasn't for the internet. Internet solutions are company I worked for before was the first commercial ISP in the country and it democratized the usage of, of the internet. I mean, in internet solutions case, they were really connecting people to this World Wide Web, this repository of amazing information, this whole new world that, that basically accelerated um, macroeconomics everywhere. Quirk, as far as the internet goes, Quirk has allowed businesses to market much more efficiently at much greater scale and a much uh, better return on investment. Now, this could mean the, the difference between life and, life and death of a, of a small to medium-sized enterprise. So I think Quirk has had a material impact on, on shaping South African business. As far as the startups go, I think the internet is giving is lending a, a certain level of economics that make business a lot more achievable. So what do I mean by that? The the investment needed in starting a technology or web technology business is very, very small comparatively to compared to manufacturing and what have you. And so what it's allowing to do, it's essentially democratized the starting and creating of businesses, which is, which is super great for Africa, where the capital is not as abundant as the first world. So this internet through the cloud computing, through the decreasing costs in internet bandwidth has allowed, quite frankly, any really smart person to start a business and to see if it's got some some success. And then success will then usually, that momentum of that will usually carry people through. And this is this is clearly very different to 50 years ago, even 100 years ago. If you, if you wanted to start a business in the, you know, in the industrial age, you would need significant amounts of capital to be successful. So the rate of success is higher. Having said that, you know, you, you got a lot more entrance. So there's this, there's this interesting, interesting environment. So this democratization you talk about makes it easier for anyone to call themselves a guru at anything. And so the, the internet is impacting the evolution of what it means to be an expert. What's your take on the global expert market? This is a great question. There's a lot of cowboys and a lot of snake oil salesmen out there. I think because of the ease of access to social media and to certain markets, um, you get a lot of people professing to know a lot of stuff. And what that means is, you know, there's more conversation and, and therefore more hot air. It's very, very difficult to distill what is signal and what is noise. 
is. But actually, that's life. I mean, you know, if you look back at technology throughout the ages, technologies usually start off in a way that isn't immediately obvious how it's going to benefit humanity. You know, where's the social utility? So we saw this at the beginning of the internet age. Um, porn was the biggest um, uh, money maker. It now doesn't make any money. So we're starting to see the social utility of of, um, of the internet. The same happened with the printing press. The same happened with the, the the spinning loom and what have you. All these technologies. It's very difficult to see what the social utility is. Coming back to your question, that means there's a lot of people there talking, quite frankly, a lot of shit, and it, it's not easy to know who who who's 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 talking sense and who's talking nonsense. How do you decide who's worth listening to? Who's a credible source of information? Who's and experts in a given field. Well, there's a general rule of thumb that if if someone calls themselves a guru in their in their social media profile, they're definitely not a guru. That's kind of the. That's f- a bit harsh. Well, if you have to call yourself a guru, you, you're definitely not a guru in my view. Listen, this is my personal opinion. The the way I follow this is I I usually follow the money. So who are the most successful venture capitalists, and what are they funding? And usually the economics will guide you to the to, to the people that are making the most sense. Usually, so one of the sources that I follow quite avidly at the moment is is A16Z, which is Andreessen Horowitz. Mark Andreessen was the founder of Netscape. His venture capital business, A16Z, is actually producing a lot of collateral and a lot of content on where the future of technology is going. That's interesting to me. And then again, you know, you see who's getting funded, who's getting bought. YouTube's a very interesting space. So I read a lot about what's going on there as far as the disruption of Hollywood and and broadcast content. There's some interesting people there so buzzfeed is a very interesting one even though they create these things called listicles and i love buzzfeed so but beneath the, the veneer of what buzzfeed is is there's some serious business going on there's there's some serious editorial that's coming through and there's some serious video production happening in the background so i suspect buzzfeed will be the next time warner in 10 years that kind of stuff and and the reason i'm following buzzfeed is because it was funded by a, a, a very reputable venture capitalist in in the valley but we shouldn't also be just focusing on the valley i think there's some interesting stuff happening in africa i have been um nairobi eric hurstman's doing some great work there um yeah there's some really interesting stuff happening uh, uh, throughout the continent especially ghana especially nigeria especially nairobi there's also some interesting stuff happening in uganda some great little incubators and startups it's it's fascinating to see some of that and they they don't necessarily get uh, enough press what do you make of Snapchat's uh, attempt at entering uh, native advertising space that BuzzFeed, you know, inhabit currently? All of these platforms that are free are going to need a business model. And the only business model that really works at the moment for a whole bunch of reasons is advertising. And the only advertising model that's really working and has a view of working into the future is this native advertising. You know, so BuzzFeed's actually proved that there's a model in native advertising. So it makes perfect sense that Snapchat will try it. Do I think it'll work? No. I think it's going to be very, very difficult for Snapchat to monetize their business model to the valuation. They've been valued at an absurd amount, and I don't know how that math works. But then again, there's much smarter people than me investing in it, so so I'm probably wrong. Coming back to that expert stuff that I'm I'm very interested in. I mean, it's interesting to me how the internet is potentially a two-edged sword for someone like me attempting to carve a niche within broadcasting, positioning to to be a uh, a unique and credible voice for things that matter to me and and obviously subjects that I am expert to share on. Uh, at the same time, there isn't necessarily a vetting process 
that uh, helps you determine whether I'm worth listening to. And with all the changes that, that are happening in the broadcasting industry, podcasting is an opportunity to sort of start to carve out a niche and so on and so forth. How would you apply everything we've discussed to the broadcasting environment and people aspiring within this space uh, to, to basically market their information successfully? First thing to do is to get rid of the word broadcast. So broadcast means that there's some person sitting there deciding what I will view or listen to or watch or whatever. Uh, and that's just, that's just not the future. The future is um, being able to choose what I, want, what I want to watch when I want and having a plethora of different types of niche content. That's not to say you – see, you see, there's a problem with the word niche because niche sometimes means, oh, there's no money in that. It's, it's kind of um, – it's just this thing on the side. The reality is uh, the internet democratizes media as well. In fact, fundamentally, it democratizes media and then everything else. So what does that mean? That means that this, this so-called long tail, which never used to be economical, is now becoming economical. So you can carve out this niche and become successful out having to be chosen by one of the broadcasters. Okay, Bulls Radio is, is, is very much like that. So I see a world in five to ten years where strong niche players will build very big followings and be able to capture significant economics. The problem is monetizing that. So you could have a huge following, but it's still very difficult for you to monetize. Yeah, um, And that's because the micropayments hasn't been solved. Yeah, we haven't been able to take a few cents off people for saying, hey, you know, hat tip, thanks, Andelia, that's great content. But that's coming. The technology's there. We just need to get it in play. And, and Bitcoin's promising some of that. It's still, a way to, it's still a way to go. So there'll be these niche players. These niche players will have significant following, and, th- and those followings will be able to be monetized. We don't need gatekeepers like BBC, although BBC is one of the probably the best broadcaster in the world, but, but ABC, CBS, even SABC, dare I say. We, we don't need those organizations to have an editorial team of two or three people to tell us what we should watch. How on earth does that make sense? That makes sense when licensing was monopolistic and there was very few channels, okay? And advertising sponsored that. Now, with the internet and the democratization of this technology, we can allow any talented minds to get there. If they're not any good, the market will vote for them and and they will cease to be relevant. They won't have a followership. If they're good, they will have a followership. Right now, we're in this kind of in-between phase where it's where we've got some significant talent but we're struggling to allow them to make enough money out of out of out of what they do but i i know for a fact that technology exists to make that change we just now need to get it into the hands of of people make it more ubiquitous and fast forward 10 years we'll see so-called niche players being very very powerful and i think the great example is actually John Oliver on this show tonight. He's on YouTube. Um, and I know he's endorsed by HBO, but the reality is he's a standalone channel that's funded by HBO and he's only on YouTube. And he makes, you know, I mean, it's just a strange economic mix there. That's a good progenitor or a good pro- um, a prognosticator of where, where things might go. So I don't know if that's answered your question. Totally. That is the most articulate response I've heard to that question in a long time. And John Oliver is brilliant, by the way. I, and I love what you said about that towards the end about how essentially traditional, uh, media players are having to find interesting and perhaps, uh, forward thinking ways to make new media work alongside everything they've had. They're probably going to milk the market. This is my guess. They're probably going to milk the market for as long as they can on an old sort of models. 
um, and sort of look for ways to bridge into the new sort of way of doing things. What do you think about that? Well, that's exactly what's going to happen, I think, in the radio or talk and video space. And a classic example of that's New York Times. New York Times last year, their digital advertising revenue for the first time last year eclipsed their print advertising revenue. So all of a sudden now, the New York Times, after hemorrhaging for probably close to a decade, now realizes its internet business is bigger than its print business. But it was in denial for 10 years, lost a lot of money, destroyed a hell of a lot of value. We're going to see that with all the big broadcasters. We're going to see these companies destroy a ton of value. Their monopolistic licenses are going to be worth less over time. But eventually they will either die or or disrupt themselves. And and hats off to New York Times. They didn't have to die before they disrupted themselves. They now have a, a sustainable business model on the internet. Unfortunately, it's destroyed hundreds of millions of dollars in, in shareholder wealth. But that's what you're here for. The good people at Quirk are here to hold people's hands through all these changes. Well, look, I mean, we're rounding things off now. Let's take it back to the, the person who's listening to this show. Uh, a lot of the people are listening in, either just about to finish university. They might have studied business like I did. They've got a pivot in mind just after they graduate, or they don't even know what to do, have no idea. They just realize there's so much opportunity out there. What advice would you give a bright young African graduate leaving uni right now to go into the world? Start stuff. These youngsters live in a a very special time in that at the moment we have world peace. We're not having to send our youth off to wars, which is actually a very special time. And the intersection of the internet and these peaceful times is very, very interesting. What does that mean? That means young people can actually do a lot of stuff. They can start a lot of creative stuff without needing much capital. All they need really is their time, which if they're young, still isn't worth a lot yet. They just need a couch to sleep on and someone to give them some money to buy food. You, you really need to start stuff, start a lot of stuff. I don't think newly minted graduates need to worry about being focused or, or worrying about career. I highly recommend to all new graduates to take a year off and just create, make stuff. There's plenty of time for career. And the reason I say that is because it's, it's, it's such a special time now with with internet technologies and i think quite frankly there's a lot of money that's going to go looking for young african creative talent there's a lot of money i know there's a lot of money there there's just not enough opportunities or not enough good stuff yet so be a part of that good stuff and and you'll see everything come right before we sign off is there a question you wish i'd have asked you that i didn't no my aim with this was to try and talk about the young talent and and i hopefully we've talked enough about that and and what fosters that and talked about the ecosystem so from that perspective i'm happy awesome so where can people follow you on social media follow you follow quirk what it is so well myself it's just my name justin spratt uh, on twitter um I, I do most of my talking on twitter and then the business i work for quirk is quirk agency on twitter but we're everywhere on facebook linkedin you name it with their instagram so uh yeah quirk agency on twitter and justin spratt on twitter justin spratt thank you so much for your time thank you very much